Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I am Jennifer, and this is episode 144. Update. As usual, things are good. I had a pretty decent work week. Um, no real issues there. Cats are good. I'm good. Just, you know, living the life down here in Florida. It's still very hot down here. I, I've been looking kind of ahead to the coming weeks to see, you know, what, what to look for. Because we are still in hurricane season. And I believe we are until end of September. You'd think after all these years I would know this. But I'm seeing some relief. No longer will we have, you know, highs in the mid-90s. In the coming weeks, we'll be getting down to the high 80s. <laughs> and I'm very much looking forward to that because I like to walk um, early in the morning. But now, with you know, it's not really light out until around 7 a.m. And down here, by 7 a.m., it can be 80 degrees. And, you know, that's tough walking weather. So I'm looking forward to the cooler mornings. I've been having this past week, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of vivid, kind of strange dreams that I'm still trying to sort through. I mean, some of them are fairly straightforward. And it's like I wake up and I go, oh, yeah, okay, I got that. Uh, but some other ones were just odd. And I mean, I know you guys have taught you guys about this, like since I'm like fully in menopause now, especially over the last couple of years, I have had more and more trouble sleeping. I used to be one of those people who I could lay my head down on the pillow and within two, maybe three minutes at the most, I was out and I would sleep soundly through the night most of the time. And then when I hit menopause, I could still fall asleep easy, but I would wake up during the night. And the waking up during the night has increased more, especially in the last year. And also in the last year, I no longer am able to just fall asleep immediately like I used to. So, you know, I, I've been just trying to figure out the best way to get sleep. And, you know, I've tried different things that I've taught you guys about. I've tried, you know, sleep apps. I do the thing of no screen time before bed. The room is dark, you know, it's cool, all those things. But I never tried kind of a full combination of all of them at once. So last week, my niece introduced me to two things that hopefully will be game changers. One was a meditation app called Insight Timer, which has timed guided meditations for things like, you know, better sleep, relaxation, breathing, even like um, focus or awareness, even healing. And the meditations vary in length. They can be as short as 10 minutes. And I've seen some on there that are over an hour. Most of the meditations are free, but there is a subscription cost if, if you wanted to do like the, I think they call it like the plus. But so far, I've been just using the free ones and I don't really see a need to upgrade. And 
Then the other thing my niece told me about was a sleep mask with Bluetooth connectivity. And I immediately went to Amazon and ordered one because I actually have a sleep mask um, and I like it, but to be able to connect to my phone through Bluetooth and listen to the meditation, like, you know, directly into my ear holes, you know, along with the sleep mask just seemed genius to me. So now, or at least, you know, in the last week, I've sort of created a new full nighttime sleep ritual where when I'm ready, you know, getting ready for bed, I shut everything off, you know, the TV, the lights, I put my phone on silent, I, you know, turn down the AC so it's cooler, I take a half a gummy, I put on a 60-minute guided meditation, connect my sleep mask, and usually within 10 minutes, I'm asleep. And for the last few nights, I haven't been waking up, you know, like more than once. I still have to wake up once to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, but I was doing that and waking up an additional four or five times. And I would wake up, you know, awake and restless and sweaty. And, you know, I just, I couldn't fall back asleep easier, easily. So now, you know, I'm just waking up the one time just to use the bathroom. And then when I go back to bed, I just put on like a short 10 minute meditation and I'm out again. So it's only been a few nights, you know, I think five so far, but so far so good. The combination seems to be working. The only thing is the vivid dreams, which I'm not really complaining about. I mean, it's also not nightmares. I kind of like having vivid dreams. Years ago, when I was one of the many attempts at quitting smoking, I was taking Shantix. And one of the side effects was vivid dreams. And I loved it. It was like being the star of my own movie every single night. It was, they were amazing. I've never had such vivid dreams as when I was on Shantex. These aren't that, you know, as vivid as that, but still, you know, more vivid than my normal dreaming. So I've been, you know, spending some time just trying to figure out where they're coming from because the meditation that I have been using for the last several nights is a 21-day program for letting go of the stuff that no longer serves you. And coincidentally, I've been dreaming about past stuff that I thought I had let go of, but I guess I haven't. And those are just the dreams that I remember. I mean, who knows what else is coming up that doesn't transfer from my subconscious once I'm awake. There was a, the other day I woke up and I knew I had been dreaming. I knew it was important, but for the life of me, I could not remember what it was. So right now, you know, this whole sleep ritual thing that I'm doing. I'm just looking at it as kind of an experiment, you know, just trying to figure out the best combination that will work for me. And I've tried so many other things that worked at first, but then eventually they all lost their effectiveness. So at this point, it's just, you know, fingers crossed. I'll keep you posted. 
TV podcast recommendations. No new podcasts this week, but I did watch a lot of TV. I binged two new series. I started another one and I finished a favorite. The first one that I watched is called The Other Black Girl. It's on Hulu. It's based on a novel by the same name written by Zakiah Delia Harris. Wiki says the series focuses on Nella Rogers, who is an editorial assistant at Wagner Books and the only black woman working for a company until the hiring of Hazel May McCall. Following the hiring of Hazel, the strange occurrences lead to Nella discovering the truth about Wagner's disturbing history. The story is inspired by Harris's own personal experiences working as an editor and addressing various forms of racism in the corporate world. It stars Sinclair Daniel as Nella and Ashley Murray as Hazel. Now, when I watched it, the very first thing I noticed is it feels a little, you know, a cross between Stepford Wives and Get Out. And Harris has cited both as inspirations for her novel. I liked it. It It's good. It ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. But as far as I can tell, it was only intended to be a limited series. So... Although I see potential for another season, I don't think one is planned. Each episode is around 30 minutes and all episodes are out right now and available to binge. Then the other series that I watched, this one was on Apple TV. It's called Hijack. And I almost didn't watch it because it's a seven part limited series about a plane hijacking. And While I didn't understand how they were going to basically make a seven-hour movie out of a hijacking, I saw that it was starring Idris Elba, and I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. Elba plays Sam Nelson, a business negotiator on his way from Dubai to London to try to win back his ex-wife. And considering the only reason I decided to watch this was because of Elba, it turns out it's much better than I thought it was going to be. Basically, each episode is another hour of the flight, so it doesn't feel like it's stretched out or dragging. The action gets started right away when an item is found in the plane bathroom that causes the hijackers to move into action sooner than they had planned. Like I said, I liked it. There's a lot going on and some twists and turns that you won't see coming. My only criticism and it's minor, is that I wish they had cut the last line. But other than that, it's pretty good. The new series that I started is also on Apple TV, and it's called The Changeling. This is another series based on a novel by the same name. This one was written by Victor Lavalle, who narrates the series. It stars Lakeith Stanford as Apollo and Clark Bacco as Emma. The Apple TV description says Apollo and Emma's love story is a fairy tale until Emma mysteriously vanishes. Bereft, Apollo finds himself on a death-defying odyssey through a New York City he didn't know existed. And I've seen other descriptions basically calling it a creepy fairy tale for adults, and I feel that's that's a pretty accurate description. It's not scary. It's disturbing. It is more of a psychological thriller than horror. I'm four episodes in, and it is the show that I look forward to watching each week. It's really good. It's dark and twisty, and I still have no idea what's going on, but I don't care. It's so good, and it's hard to kind of tell like what's real and what's not. 
There's four episodes out right now. There'll be a total of eight in the series and new episodes come out every Friday. And I said goodbye to a favorite and finally watched the final season of Ted Lasso. Oh, so, so good. So, so good. I'm going to miss him. That's all I have to say. All right. Now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So another week, another TikTok hashtag causing controversy. This time it's hashtag girl math. According to the internet, girl math started with a recurring radio segment uh, by the same name hosted on the morning show Fletch, Vaughn and Haley by the New Zealand based radio station ZM. In the segment, Listeners send in details about purchases they've made and their costs, while show co-host Haley and other female producers on the team work together to justify the spending. For example, a caller says they spent $700 on a Dyson Airwrap. The host helped the caller justify the price by estimating the number of times it is expected to be used so that the total cost is, quote, basically free. The TikTok version is women describing the logic they use to justify spending money. It's things like, if the item is less than $5, it's also, quote, basically free. Or, if your friend Venmos you their half of a meal that you put on your credit card, the Venmo money is free cash. Basically, cash is not real money, and buying something when it's on sale is a form of saving money. It seems every TikToker using this hashtag has their own version of girl math. One says that if she cancels her manicure appointment, that's basically free money to spend somewhere else. Another TikToker described a girl math problem in action. She says she bought a Lululemon shirt for $68, exchanged it in the store for $58, and received $10 back on her credit card, saying, I went to Lululemon, didn't spend any money, but got money. So I got $10 and I was like, well, now I guess I get to go get food with the money I just made. (laughs) Many experts see the entire idea of girl math economics as problematic for many reasons. One, it's obvious, you know, it's a gender neutral cognitive bias being attributed to females saying it portrays women as not being able to handle money. Two, It's use of illogical logic to justify spending choices. And three, it seems to rationalize poor financial decisions. Now, in doing my research for this week, I watched a lot of these girl math TikToks. And one thing I found that they all had in common was, seems to be a joke. It's supposed to be funny. I didn't think that any of these women were actually believing their justifications for spending money. They were just sort of saying that, you know, they just, it's what they tell themselves when they know they're probably spending money on things they don't, you know, they don't need. Who among us hasn't done that? I kind of liken it to treat yourself. You know, it's, it's not meant to be something you do every day, but occasionally using illogical logic to justify a purchase is just fun. And from the number of viewers and users of the hashtag, I'm not alone. In an article on the Huffington Post, when asked why the hashtag seemed to be resonating with so many, accredited financial counselor Jen Hemphill said 
People appreciate hearing about other people's imperfections, saying, quote, People connect because most people are experiencing financial struggles and it's relatable to them. So being able to connect with that and say, hey, I've done that too, feels good, end quote. One of the more popular ideas of girl math is that cash is not real money. So buying anything with cash is basically free. And I have to say, I've also used this logic. I think because we've really moved away from cash as a society. I almost never have cash. A point of contention between myself and my ex who believed you should always have cash on you just in case. Well, all these years of almost exclusively using cards to make purchases, and I've still never run into a situation where I've gotten into trouble because I didn't have cash on me. So on the rare occasion when I do have cash, it feels like found money. I mean, I know it isn't. It's either cash I've gotten from the ATM, or maybe I returned something and instead of putting that back on my card, they refund me in cash. I will spend that cash more easily on things I don't necessarily need because it's bonus money. I know this isn't, it doesn't sound like, you know, great financial advice, but it's not meant to be. Think of how you feel when you look at your receipt and see how much money you've saved, or when you buy something on sale and see the original price. It gives you a little boost, and it builds brand loyalty. I love that feeling when I'm cashing out at Kohl's, and the cashier tells you how much you saved, and then circles it in a bright highlighter on the receipt. And then there's Kohl's cash, which is most definitely free money. Of course, this is all subjective, right? Yes, it's nice to get something for 60% off, but you'd save 100% if you didn't buy it. It's like that $5 a day coffee you treat yourself to every morning on your way to work. In 2023, there are 260 workdays on the calendar. Over the course of a month, that's about 22 workdays or $110 spent on your coffee. Over the course of a year, that daily treat has now cost you about $1,300. And while that seems like a lot of money, money that you would maybe have in your savings account at the end of the year, is it? When you weigh the annual cost of purchasing your daily coffee against the cost and time of making it yourself, you have to factor in everything. The quality of the coffee at the shop versus what you make at home the time it takes to prepare, the cost of purchasing all of the ingredients separately, even the emotional cost of the boost you get from sipping from that Starbucks cup. It seems trivial, I know, but it's a real thing and must be included in your calculations. So in the end, what you have to ask yourself is, is it worth it? If the answer is yes, carry on. $5 a day is actually a pretty small price to pay if it brings you joy. But if that $110 a month caffeine habit is creating a financial hardship at the end of the month, that's when it's time to take a look, you know, more realistic look of your spending. In most of the articles I found, the financial experts seem to agree that occasional girl math is okay. It's showing yourself some grace instead of berating yourself when you make a purchase that may seem a little indulgent. I'm a big supporter of the treat yourself th phenomenon. 
we all work hard. The economy sucks. And every once in a while, we have to spend our money on something indulgent. Otherwise, what's the point? We're just supposed to work hard, pay bills, and what? Save the rest? For what? Now, I'm not saying you should spend every penny of what's left over, but you should occasionally use it on something for no other reason than it makes you happy in order to remind yourself that life is about more than just work, save, repeat. An article on Psychology Today said that girl math is the same thing as mental accounting, which describes how cognitive biases contribute to irrational financial decision making and says we all do it as a way to calculate money subjectively. The article says we assign money to different buckets based on what we plan to spend it on and money gained from things like tax refunds or gifts, birthday money maybe, that's separate from the bill-paying money. And it goes on to say, even if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you find $100 on the street, it makes you happy because its purpose is unassigned and it's more likely to go into the discretionary spending bucket than into the one that pays the electric bill. Of course, all of this changes when your girl math starts affecting your ability to pay your bills every month. Also, for the younger generation who basically have been raised in an almost cashless society, the idea of girl math is not really seen as particularly detrimental. In a recent study, researchers polled more than 2,500 participants between the ages of 15 and 25. They found that more than 70% of the participants believed money, quote, isn't real. (laughs) Now, as a person in her 50s, I find this shocking. But when you consider that they haven't actually dealt with money as a tangible thing, it's not that hard to see why they would feel that way. For my generation, I liken it to kind of like purchasing something at the arcade using the tickets he got from playing skee-ball. You just don't factor in the amount of actual money you put into the machine in order to get all those tickets. The other part of hashtag girl math is that it seems to be raising the ire of financial experts and they don't like the term girl and the trend in advertising that is sometimes called femvertising citing the campaign which made headlines years ago with an ad about what it meant to, quote, throw like a girl. The ad seems to show how even young girls thought that throwing like a girl meant throwing a ball awkwardly or poorly. Gerkel admits that sometimes the use of girl can imply intimacy, as in girl talk, but context matters. The use of girl can also be diminishing, implying a lack of maturity or competence. We use the term girls in a much different way than we use the term boys. Quote, plenty of research shows that language impacts how girls and women feel about themselves. Women who were called girls in the workplace rather than women felt less confident perceived they had fewer leadership qualities, and believed that others would view them as less prepared for leadership positions, end quote. Well, those are all really good points, and I may be kidding myself, but 
I just don't see it as all that serious. Much like hashtag girl dinner, hashtag girl math isn't meant to be a lifestyle. It's not spending money you don't have that will result in you not being able to pay your rent. That's a separate issue. Girl math is justifying an unnecessary purchase using humor, not logic. One economist named Brad Olson evaluated an example from that radio program that started the whole girl math trend. In the example, the listener said they justified their purchase of a dress that cost them $330. First, they rounded down to $300. They divided the cost of the amount of times they thought they would wear it, and in this case, they estimated four times, which brought the cost down to $75 per wear. Then, they factored in swapping the dress for another with a friend, which basically meant they got a free dress. Once the friend returns the dress, you can sell it online for $75, and now you've basically made money on the dress. Hashtag girl math. When Olson evaluated this example from the economist's point of view, he said this is an example where girl math actually works, saying if it was a one-off, a one-and-done purchase, he would be concerned. But, quote, everyone is now thinking like an economist asking themselves, how do I get the most bang for my buck? And I like that way of thinking, end quote. Like I said, I don't think any of the TikTokers saw using this, you know, that I saw using this hashtag were actually doing it as a form of sound financial advice. And while I did see some experts who expressed frustration over girl math, perpetuating the idea that women don't understand how money works, I just don't think it's all that serious. It's a way to justifying being a little frivolous every once in a while. They know they're being silly. That's kind of the point. And as for the point of contention of using girl math over just math, I've also watched some TikToks where the female in the relationship is trying to justify her purchases using her girl math while her male partner just shakes his head in confusion. And you know what? That's okay. It's not for them. It's for us. I have less of a problem with the use of girl or the illogical justification of purchases than I do with the feeling that you would need to justify your purchase at all. As long as you're not overspending to the point where you're going to put yourself into real financial trouble down the road, treating yourself occasionally shouldn't require creative math. Because trust me, love, you deserve it. All right. I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 144. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, my so-called midlife podcast, and like the Facebook page by the same name. Follow me on Instagram at my so-called midlife podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen because the second part is the important part. If you have questions or topic suggestions, email me at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, love you. Bye.